0: journey. Uh, gl- glad to be with you today as we continue to dive into our series called Faith During Faithlessness. And today we come to chapter 9 of 2 Kings, and as we do, we're going to look at a king that starts out well, yet his story concludes with an ending where we can honestly say, I wish it didn't happen that way. This story is kind of like watching an action-packed thriller movie because there's a lot of action, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of battles going on. Maybe it's like watching the Mission Impossible series where just one thing after another, high intensity, or maybe it's more more like the the, uh, Fast and Furious series because this king's driving his chariot is actually described as driving like a maniac. Maybe he would be playing the role of Vin Diesel in that series, the one in charge, the one taking names, the one going out and getting things done. Now, this would be a movie where the main character is just taking down the enemy all throughout the storyline. And then, in the final scene, in the last frames of the film, he loses it. And the enemy wins, and there is no sequel in in the works. So we're left watching this, we're left reading the story, and we go, no, come on, really? You're kidding, right? Well, I mentioned at the outset of this series through 2 Kings that this book is full of tragedies, and today we want to look at one of them. Because not everything in this book is rainbows and unicorns. Today is a story of a king who failed to live faithfully, who failed to lead, lead wisely, and in the end, it's a story where, we're, where we just go, Oh, I wish it didn't happen that way. And it tells the slow slide of the people of Israel into exile. So today we're going to look at a king named Jehu. And you're probably going, Jehu? No, Jehu, that's that's his name, king of Israel, J-E-H-U. Now, both the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, uh, were God's instruments that he used to warn kings about being faithful or unfaithful. Now, during their their time, they warned a king named Ahab, who was evil personified, just a, a bad dude they warned him that that he would, and his descendants uh, would be wiped out from the throne. And, And Ahab was just a sore spot in the history of Israel because he lived far from God. So that was previously, now we come to chapter 9 of 2 Kings, and God uses this king named Jehu to bring about that judgment on the family and descendants of Ahab. So this morning in, in this message, we're going to look at two different things. One is the anointing of, of Jehu as king and how God used an unnamed prophet to do so. And then the, aban- the abandoning that follows, his abandoning of God's ways and the one who actually called him to be king. So let's, let's begin by looking at this anointing by a prophet that we, we don't even know, know his name. This prophet is sent to carry out God's task. So we pick up in chapter 9 of 2 Kings, verse 1. The prophet Elisha summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take this flask of olive oil with you, and go to Ramoth-Gilead. And when you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go to him. Get him away from his companions and take him into an inner room. Then take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run. Don't delay. So God sends this prophet from this what what they call a, a company of prophets, or other versions say sons of the prophets. These were kind of like uh, training grounds and training schools at various locations. And their day would be like going to a Bible college or seminary on steroids because it was in a tense time where they would learn to minister and serve the Lord. to How, how to fulfill this vocation of being a prophet. So this prophet, the initial prophet, Elisha, takes one of his disciples and tells him to go do this task. And it's really a, a beautiful picture of what discipleship looks like. Because if you re- remember back a couple of weeks when we introduced this series, we talked about Elijah. And Elijah uh, had a disciple named Elisha. And at the end of Elijah's life, he kind of passes that mantle of leadership, passes the mantle of being a prophet to Elisha. And Elisha picks up that mantle, and he runs with it, and he takes on the role of being God's prophet. So now here in chapter 9 to 2 Kings, we see Elisha essentially doing the same thing. He's taking one of these students from the company of prophets from one of these schools and he's saying, I want you to go do the work of a a prophet. And he is empowered to do so. So Elisha too is, is a disciple maker. He equips, he empowers, and he releases others to do the job. And for this unnamed prophet, his classroom study is done. You know, the book work's over, now He's get, now he has the, the in-person internship, as it were, and he says, go and do. Step into the role that God is calling you to do. And as, as I look at that, I, I think about our lives, and sooner or later, we have to go beyond the classroom and beyond, beyond the Bible study, because faith is really a verb, isn't it? It's an action, it's something that we do, it's something that that we live out. And there's times where we just need to step into our role of being that Christian, of being a Jesus follower, and live it out in ways that other people can tell, so that other people can see. So this particular prophet's ministry, his calling, is to go appoint a king. Now, that was often the job of a prophet in in the Old Testament, and they would do so by anointing with oil, pouring oil on the head. In fact, Israel's first two kings, um, Saul and David, were anointed as kings by a prophet named Samuel, and he would pour the oil on the head. So it's the same scenario here. And then the prophet explains why God has chosen Jehu and for what purpose. So he goes on to kind of describe his job responsibilities as king. So we pick up in verse 6 of Second Kings 9. Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anoint you king over the Lord's people. And here's his job description. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and the house of Baasha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. You know, I'm not sure why, why Elisha tells this prophet, you know, get the job done and then run away. But, you know, he does it. And if I was this prophet bringing that kind of message to this king, you know, here, here's what God's calling you to do. Wipe out this family. I would probably, you know, do my job, say what i got to say, and I would probably run away too. But that's what this prophet does. He just runs, runs away. A couple of things I want to point out today about this anointing. This anointing was God's task done in God's timing. Now, Jehu, like I said, was, was to take out the descendants of Ahab, and he was going to basically d- destroy his, his dynasty because Ahab was just was far from the Lord God and his wife Jezebel uh, was far from the Lord as well so he would avenge the the blood of the Lord's prophets that that Jezebel killed and wiped out but Elijah prophesied that years before years before Elijah went to Ahab and said this is what's going to happen to you and in, in your family in fact back back in 1 Kings chapter 21 is when we first read about it and and here's the, here's Here's how it's worded with the encounter with Elijah and Ahab. So Ahab says to Elijah, So you have found me, my enemy. And Elijah answers, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, what's going to happen? I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Sounds familiar, Right? That's exactly what this unnamed prophet told Jehu to do. And then it ends in verse 29. I will not bring this disaster in this day, he says, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. So God's timing for this is carried out years later. In fact, 12 years passed before this, this, by the time this initial prophecy is given, by the time it's completed. You know, God's, basically God's quiet ways for the moment are over and judgment time has come. And Jehu is God's instrument to carry out his judgment on Ahab. You know, God's timing can be a challenge, right? Most of us would have given up on God's plan by that point. I mean, 12 years, a dozen years have gone by. You know, if, if we felt God calling us to do something and 12 years later it hasn't happened, we'd probably be checked out by then and doing our own thing. But, you know, you know think about the times where God has moved in your life, where, where it's been evident that, yeah, this was a God thing. Have those times ever matched up and lined up with, with our timing? You know, does God's plan ever match up with our timing? Does, does our plan ever match up with His plan? You know, this unnamed prophet, he, he was obedient and did what he was asked to do. He did it when he was asked to do it, and, and he, he said what he was supposed to say. But you know what? We can't come along and try to force God's hand. Scripture is filled with, with examples of people that tried to do that, and it was, you know, epic fail every time. You know, we we can ignore God's timing and try to do it on our own, but in the end, we get the timing wrong and set ourselves up for frustration or disaster. We can ignore God's word and end up just being wounded and hurt because we've tried to orchestrate things ourselves. Or we can even ignore being a part of God's family, thinking that we can do it on our own, but we are left alone, isolated, and vulnerable. Vulnerable to Satan's attack. Well, this anointing was also God's task and it was based on God's truth, on God's word. This young prophet spoke God's truth to Jehu. And he was, he was actually labeled as a maniac for do, doing so. Another part of the text today, the Jehu's companions call this prophet a maniac. I, I love that description. Because prophets in the Old Testament were often considered you know, the, the crazy preachers. And they, they were just labeled crazy because of the words that they would speak, the things that they would do. And they would call people out and call them out when they were walking against the living God. And you know what? When we speak the truth of Scripture, we can be labeled as well. We can be called closed-minded. We can be called, you know, Jesus freak. We can be called labeled a Bible thumper, you know. I've never actually thumped somebody from my, with my Bible, but I have thought about it from time to time. I would love to have that label on me. You know, and th- then we could, be, we could be labeled as crazy talk, right? Just like these prophets, when you start talking Scripture that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that there's only one God, that our identity is found in Christ. That kind of stuff we read in Scripture, scripture is not mainline thinking today. But I want to encourage you, as a Jesus follower, to speak God's truth, God's word, even when they consider, might consider you a crazy person. The Apostle Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That just says that, that the world is going to think that you're a fool, for talking about the cross. I mean, when you think about it, the cross is about suffering. The cross is about self-denial. This, The cross is about the ultimate sacrifice so that we can find hope and fulfillment and purpose in our God. Now, when you start talking about that, you might be considered crazy, but you know what? You are in good company because so were the prophets and Jesus. So I want to shift from this anointing by this unnamed prophet, this unnamed prophet who stepped into his calling. And let's shift to a king who stepped away from God's calling. Now, the opening scene of Jehu's story are great. We can go on to read how he accomplished his mission, how he wiped out all of his descendants, and we can look at his victories, but then comes this tragic ending, and that's the second thing today that we want to look at, this abandoning by a king. Now, Jehu, he won the battle, but ultimately he, he lost the war. In chapter 10, we, we see the end of his reign, Uh, verse 28 of 2 Kings 10. So Jehu destroyed the Baal worship in Israel. However, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit, the worship of the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. So the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab all I had mind to do. Your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Let me just pause there for a second. So Jehu, he got the job done. He, he fulfilled his job requirements. He, he accomplished the task that God had asked him to do. But look at how it's described, how he ends up with himself. Yet Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. And then here's the sad ending. In those days, the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel. Man, Jehu, guy that starts out great, maybe a little overzealous in his systematic uh, wiping out and removal of Ahab's family, At one point in the text and another point, he's described as driving his chariot around like a maniac. You know, that's why I think he'd be great in the Fast and Furious movies. This guy was like getting the job done. He drove around like a maniac to accomplish this plan. But in the process, he loses the Lord. You know, things didn't end well. So basically, he, he accomplished his military mission, but he failed in his life mission. And in the midst of his work, he lost his calling. Great military victory, but he lost his soul. And you know what? That type of problem is not limited to Jehu's area. I mean, in the midst of our work, in the midst of chasing after our vocation, our career, chasing after, you know, the next, the next level, the next rung in the ladder of where we work, that next, you know, latest, greatest thing, we chase after that, yet we can lose our calling. You know, it, it grieves my heart when I read about um, church leaders who early on had a successful ministry, yet turn away from their faith. They might have grown a a large church, yet in the midst of it all, they lose their Savior and they renounce their faith. And often in the midst of growing this church, they leave, you know, a trail of beat-up, and battered believers behind them. So, Journey, don't lose sight of the Savior. Let, let today be a reminder to stay faithful. I mean, you might have an incredible resume. You might be a mover and shaker in your workplace, but don't lose sight of Jesus in the midst of it. You know, go all in with God to the very end. Take, take the long view in life, consistently and constantly pursuing God. Well, how do you do that? Let, let me give you just some practical ways to keep you focused for the long haul. One, stay connected to the Word. I mean, have a daily quiet time. You know, that's so valuable. And in those quiet times, man, make those Bible-centric. In other words, get into Scripture. Make them prayer-oriented and obedience-focused. By that, I mean focus on transformation from the Word, not just information in the Word. So stay connected to the Word. Second, stay connected to the larger group of the church family. In other words, hang around with other Jesus followers. I mean, it is encouraging when we gather together on on Sunday mornings to be be encouraged, to find strength, to, to touch base with other people that are running after Jesus just like you are. So stay connected to the larger group, but also get connected to a smaller group as well. Maybe that's a a midweek life group or it's it's an, an accountability partner or two that you can regularly meet with those people, be vulnerable, transparent, and real with them and pray with them. So get connected to the larger group. Get connected to a smaller group. And then lastly, get connected to a ministry. Get connected to the ministry that God has called you to. And when we begin to take our eyes off of ourselves in a ministry, when we, when we begin to become other-focused and encouraging others to, to reach their potential in Christ, man, that is a boost to our own faith as a result. So this guy, Jehu, he, he started out on fire for the Lord, yet ultimately it's a story of a man who walked away from the living God who let culture around him pull him into that world's pagan belief. You know, he, it, it says he destroyed the Baal worship, yet he still allowed the worship of golden calves. You know, so he did one thing, but he allowed something else to remain. And, and maybe you know people in your life that once followed Jesus but have walked away. I, I know people that, that I've rubbed shoulders with over the years that have done that. What, one, one of the guys was, was a colleague of mine at a church that I pastored in Wisconsin. I mean, we worked side by side, shoulder to shoulder for years. And, the, and late, then later, at, after I left uh, Wisconsin, I learned that he divorced his wife and just kind of, you know, went back to worldly ways. And I'm just like, oh, I hate when I see that happen. There's men that I've discipled repeatedly over and over again that have ultimately turned their back on Jesus and went back to the worldly ways. And it's like looking at Jehu, I, I think and I see those that happen and I go, I wish I would that wouldn't have ended that way. But I've also seen examples of men and women in my life who've stuck with it for the long haul. There was this faithful saint named Kathleen uh, who was at the church that that we pastored in wisconsin and and Kathleen, I mean, she was old when I got there, you know, and she was one of those saintly old women. I mean, she couldn't hear a thing, she couldn't see a lick, but man, she was a prayer warrior. And you know, as she aged in Jesus, she was my go- to person when I needed prayer. so i would i would I would get together with Kathy. Kathleen and kind of shout in her ear, Kathleen, you know, can you pray for this? And I know that she would would be lifting that up in prayer. And she was faithful to the very end of her life. There's my friend Jeff, who was uh, diagnosed with a rare disease. And even though God took him home early, he was a faithful Jesus follower to the very end. He never lost hope. And to the very end of his, his life, even though it was ended early, man, he continued to talk about Jesus to the very end. There was Ralph in one of my early ministries who, was, who was, uh, built houses for a living. And, and in every house that he would build, as he was putting up the walls, he would write scripture on the studs be- before he drywalled it. And he was just a faithful witness to Jesus in that construction world in which he ran. And he was one of the elders in this church that hired me as I was just a young, inexperienced guy. And he just showed me what it looked like to be a Jesus follower. And Ralph was faithful to the very end. You know, maybe you can identify those men and women that have stayed faithful to the very end. I want to bring it back around this morning as we close to this anonymous, unnamed prophet who stepped into his calling. Man, let your life parallel his, not Jehu. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up this morning. You know, Jehu, he was the guy in the spotlight. He was the guy that people knew, the name that was recognized. But this prophet, man, he was in it for life. And I really think this anonymity of this prophet story is a lot more beautiful than that of a king with all the military victories and on his resume. So the hero in this story, and it's not Jehu, the hero is this unnamed disciple of Elisha, the one who stepped into his calling, did a hard task of go talking to a king, he did his job, and he ran away. (laughs) We don't even know his name but we know the one whom he served. And the hero in our story, it's it's not us, it's Jesus. So I want to encourage you today as I close to give your life to the one who knows you by name, the one who went to the cross for you, the one who sacrificed for you. Give your life to him and then point other people to him. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for uh, just scripture. Your scripture that's alive and active that we can look to today and look at examples both good and bad examples of just an unnamed prophet who did what you asked him to do and examples of a king who in in the end just blew it and walked away from you so father i, I pray that as we look at these stories from second kings that it's more than just a narrative that it's more than just story but lord help Help to apply this to our lives. Lord, we pray that your scripture continues to transform us and change us. And ultimately, Lord, as we do so, as it works in our life, that we can point others to you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.